Welcome back to today's episode where the topic of discussion is fear. Now I've invited back Hadi Damastani onto the show. His depth of knowledge and understanding of psychology and the way that our brains work and we function our day-to-day lives is just incredible. I actually learned so much in the following interview that I've listened back to it a few times and just the explanation of how to hijack our monkey mind is a key distinction which allows you to maintain your poise and not be so emotional in your day-to-day lives. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. And don't forget that you can access my whole back catalogue of interviews. You just need to search for The Gary Gun Show. So welcome back to the show today, Hoddy. Thank you, Gary. Always nice to be here, as you know. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And today's topic of discussion is that word fear. So could you, first of all, offer us an explanation on what that term means to you as a therapist? So fear for me primarily is you've perceived a threat or a danger of some kind. And it is your physical and psychological response to that perception of threat. So the interesting word there is perceive. So what do you mean by perceive? Because actually that's a a big difference between perceiving something and actually there being a threat there. Well, I think there's always some assessment that is made. And sometimes that assessment is made almost quite automatically for you that actually there's a threat. So fear by its very nature is I've perceived a threat. And it's perception because... It's your brain that decides what's a threat and what isn't a threat. And sometimes what happens is your your reptilian brain sort of takes over and that's when you get anxiety and panic attacks and these kind of things. Okay, uh, I don't know what you mean by reptilian brain. I've heard that term before. Um, what do you mean by reptilian brain? So the reptilian brain is the primitive part of your brain system. So it's the, the idea the reptilian part of your brain is that ancient sort of primeval part of your brain that is interested in keeping you alive and from a sort of survival perspective that's the part of your brain that was very much in charge back in prehistoric times uh can you give an example on on that just to give me a bit more context um why why would it need to be in charge in prehistoric times okay so one thing we know is we have a negativity bias so it makes more sense for our survival or it did not so much now for us to be more attuned to danger because back in prehistoric times you're in a life or death situation on a daily basis it's worth your life in order to be prepared and be more attuned to threat danger and fear because it keeps you alive is this the part of your brain that gives you anxiety yes so when we feel anxiety most of the time or would you say all of the time it's our reptilian brain triggered by our perception of danger sometimes yes okay sometimes it's your reptilian brain that's when you have a very immediate physical reaction to something when you go into fight or flight mode sometimes that can happen quite quickly so instinctively instinctively okay other times it can be when you're overthinking so you overthink and then that's more the sort of cognitive capacity that's more the prefrontal cortex stuff that's when you're overthinking and ruminating on things okay uh maybe we can discuss both of these so we'll come back to the frontal cortex one in a bit and let's go back to the uh, instinctive one so what you're what you're suggesting here is that we have an instinctive bias towards um, being on vigilant alert for our own safety as opposed to just thinking things are going to be okay absolutely spot on yeah that's exactly right and, and that's because historically if there is 
the sound of a snake, we're much more likely to think we need to avoid that than things are going to be fine. Because the consequence of not means your hunting days are over forever. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. So, okay. So this is a reptilian brain is what you called it? That's yes. Monkey mind, monkey brain. Sometimes it's referred to in other books. Okay. Monkey mind, monkey brain. Okay. So now we've got this parameter for understanding where this type of anxiety comes from. How do you stop it? Or is there ways of preventing it? Yes. So the first thing that I always do, and I always say to my clients, which brings a smile to their face, is the first thing you do when you perceive a threat is you thank your monkey mind for the message. So you actually turn around in your head or out loud, if you like, you turn around and say, thanks for the message. (laughs) Can you say... Thank you, monkey mind. Thank you, you, monkey mind. Exactly. Because you're laughing and that's that's the kind of response you get. So normally in a situation where normally you'd feel fear. Correct. To interrupt the pattern in that way by thanking your monkey mind. Not only does it interrupt that pattern, but sometimes it brings a smile to your face at a time when you think it's not possible to smile. Let's break this down. What do you mean by interrupt a pattern? So we're just absolutely clear here. Okay, so... If you're about to go down a path that isn't helpful to stop that in its tracks by interrupting that thought or that process in some way. So the longer you stay on the thought, the more detrimental to your well-being and the higher your anxiety levels will become. Certainly in this situation, when you're perceiving a threat. Whereas if you can interject, so perhaps stopping that thought process by interrupting it, by thanking your monkey mind, what does that actually do? Well, it stops that process. It at least delays that process. It buys you a vital second or two, and sometimes that's all you need to come up with a different appraisal, to reappraise that situation. So how could you use this understanding to deal with the day-to-day anxiety, which I think in 2019, a lot of people feel? Absolutely. So I think, first of all, it's recognizing that our fight-or-flight response, our monkey mind is is reacting in situations where clearly they're not life or death situations. So it's understanding, well, what is the threat here? What is the actual threat? And more often than not, the biggest threat is a threat to somebody's self-esteem or self-worth than it is a threat threat to their life. Let's go down this route here. So let's play this out. Say, for example, um, someone's posted something on Facebook and someone's responded negatively to it and all their friends and family have seen it. Now, that's not a real threat. You're not going to get killed, but that's a hit to your self, potential hit to your self-esteem. How would you cope with that or manage that? Okay. Well, the first thing is recognizing, as you quite rightly said, this is not life or death. It may feel it, but it actually I'm not going to die. It's uncomfortable, but I'm not going to die. And it's recognizing, first of all, that, hang on, my brain is getting muddled up here. This is a, this is a fight or flight, life or death response. That's what this the part of my brain is used to dealing with this isn't that this is not great but this isn't that so first of all as always it's thanking for the message i'm safe thanks for the message i'm safe yeah and i guess that by interrupting that pattern that your rationality can come in to deal with the actual concern because when you're operating from a flight or fight response you're emotional and you're going to make the wrong decision is that typically what how that plays absolutely. out absolutely And the other capacity of the emotional mind, of course, is you know your emotional mind is in charge, giving that sort of social media example, when the thoughts you have about what's just happened are rigid, black and white, and set in stone. So an example would be, 
everyone's going to hate me. Exactly. That's it. My life's over. Whereas if you interrupted the life or death pattern first and the anxiety didn't come up as badly, you would say, um, well, it is what it is. <laughs> it's yeah, it's exactly. out of my control. It's, it's <laughs> never going to be something you feel good about, but actually when you hear these thoughts from your emotional mind, that's it. My life is over. That's it. You know, so you're, you're talking as if that's it. You're dead. It's the end of my life. And so you reframe that and okay, this, this is disappointing or this is upsetting, but I will survive. It's just on that point that you just mentioned there. You have an emotional instinctive response from your monkey mind and that create, that can create thoughts. So from the instinct, so comes thoughts. Yes. Yeah, so you'll get the thoughts and then you will appraise the situation in a very, so you get the initial response. Which is instinctive, no yeah. thoughts. Yes. Instinct. Yes. Okay. Well, this is an interesting one. It yeah, yes, it's going to be a chicken and egg. So yeah. it depends what you believe and who you read and uh, which comes first. Okay. So sometimes you may get the bodily reaction first, the reptilian kind of response. Other times it may be the thought that then creates the response. So cognitive behavior therapy and rational emotive behavior therapy go from the idea that it's the thought first. Okay. And then you could, if you substitute, if you substitute the thought for something more balanced and more helpful, then you get a different response from the same situation. Okay. So if we bring this down to the everyday man, if we say that um, for the sake of coping with day-to-day anxieties, for us um, layman's, it really doesn't matter whether our thought comes first or whether the instinct comes first. Exactly. And let's just look at how we can actually cope and manage these instead. So you've mentioned, first of all, that you can interrupt the pattern by thanking the monkey mind, which actually makes me laugh. So I'm going to try this. Thank yeah, you, monkey yeah. mind. I think that's a, it's a fun, and I love that. It's a fun way of dealing with a stressful situation. You can't be having fun and be stressed at the same time. Is, is, that, is that also true absolutely. as well, by the way? Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah okay, absolutely. good. Um, so that's interesting. Um, okay, so you interrupt the pattern, and I'm assuming that is the best way of dealing with that type of response is to interrupt initially as the first thing yeah, yeah okay and after you've interrupted it so i say you know thank you my monkey mind i'm laughing now uh, but the problem is still there um albeit i can rationalize a bit more what would be the next step next thing you do is you balance the unhelpful thoughts that you're having about the situation so you reappraise it because you know by the very nature the thoughts that you have that go along with the feelings are going to be rigid black and white, set in stone. So let's uh, give a different example here. So um, completely maybe a left field example, but say when you were a kid, uh, you were punished and you were always by yourself. So you have an association that being by yourself is a punishment. Now, as you grow older into adulthood, you don't like being by yourself because it creates a fear within you that you're being ostracized and left out of everything else that's going on. You could use the same process to interrupt that pan and to say, thank you for this. Thank you for monkey mind. Uh, I'm aware of this feeling. And then you can run a more balanced appraisal of the, the current situation you're in. Is that a fair example of what you're suggesting? Absolutely. And in that particular example, what I would do is I would say something on the lines of, in fact, I was um, working with a client, very similar situation just a couple of sessions ago. So I would say something like, thanks for the message. This isn't about now as an adult. This is childhood stuff. And that's good enough to actually interrupt. 
interrupt how you're feeling. Yes. The reason why I brought that up, so I used to struggle with loneliness a lot in my um, young adulthood. I, I don't anymore, actually. <laughs> Love being by myself because it's an opportunity to think and to learn and do all these different things that if I wasn't by myself, I couldn't do. So I've completely reframed that in my mind. But it's an interesting analysis of how I could have dealt with it better at the time. Um, if that doesn't work, because I'm sure there are times where... Um, Perhaps it's a little bit too, you, perhaps you've let the anxiety get on top of you a bit too much and you can't interrupt or rationalize it using that strategy. Is there anything else that you can do in that moment? Well, I think if it's f physical stuff, if it's more the physical symptoms, yeah, the, the cognitive fear. anxiety, then then deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing really helps. Okay. Which is taking in deep breaths into your stomach and just relaxing yourself. So that would be another strategy that also works with the instinctive with the somatic, the physical sensations. So if physical um, symptoms are dealt with a physical... Remedy. Remedy. Yeah. Okay. That's a good distinction then. So something physical is dealt with in a physical way. Okay. That, I, li I like that and, distinction and Going back well. to what you were saying, I, I'd be interested in exploring why these reframes are not working. So you say, well, you've tried that and it doesn't work. I'd yeah. want to understand, well, what is it about the balancing thought that you come up with that isn't resonating with you could you ask yourself that question yes absolutely yeah that's that's really interesting take some self-awareness to be able to do that and i'm sure i'm not sure yeah, everyone could do that but no, yes but, that's what a therapist would do well interestingly enough just as you're saying that to me that is it, that's got me thinking that you know sometimes um i have tried balancing thoughts and i'm too emotional at the time but if i ask myself what is it about balancing this that isn't working i know that would work yes and as this sounds it may sound ridiculous no, but that really would yeah, work for absolutely. me because it's almost like i now know that i've got first line treatment is balancing second line second line treatment is why is the balancing not working and if that still doesn't work then the third one maybe diaphragmatic breathing could be my third port of call exactly and i think another big mistake people make is with positive affirmations for example sometimes it's too big a jump it's a lovely idea to substitute a negative thought with a positive one but it's too big a jump it's a polar opposite could you explain what a positive affirmation is so positive affirmation is some kind of statement you say about yourself that is empowering and positive and allows you to to move down a path of growth. So almost a personal mantra. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what you're suggesting is that the personal mantra is too far away from how you're feeling and that you should prescribe a thought which is more specific to the actual feeling. I've always found from my experience that balancing an already unhelpful thought is more useful and more realistic than a positive affirmation. I'm 100% with you. Uh, it almost sounds a bit fluffy for me if I'm being personal. And it's a too big a jump yeah. as well, Gary. I mean, should I give you an example? Yeah, yeah, So perfect. if somebody says, you know, they're looking in the mirror and they think, I look I look disgusting. I look unattractive. <laughs> right. And then, you know. And now I look like Thor. Exactly. <laughs> and then you turn around and say, I'm beautiful. I'm amazing. I'm irresistible. It's a lovely idea, yeah. but it's too far away from what you're believing. So in actual fact, what I would do is a yeah. balancing thought. I would say something along the lines of, I'm not perfect, but then neither is anybody else. And if that's not powerful enough, how could how could you make that? How a bit would more? you? How would you? So for me, that that's not enough? that's not believable for me. I, I, for me personally, that that balancing statement. Um, is it that it's not believable, or is it that it's not powerful enough? It's that I, in my mind, I ascribe to um, role models and people in my mind, in my imagination, that are perfect. That's the way that I like. I like to pick things about people that are perfect and focus on that, and and moving towards it. So for me, it would be. 
I'm not there yet, but it's fine. You're on a journey and eventually you'll get there. That, that would balance me more. But what it doesn't give you is acceptance yeah. of the, in the now, the moment. So I appreciate what you're saying. And ah. I think you're the type of person who is aspirational, who looks at role models, yeah. who, like, who moves towards personal growth. You are not like everybody. Okay. So I think you'll get some people who need a way of accepting. They need a way of looking in the mirror and accepting who they are and how they feel now. And I'm working towards where I want to be. Maybe enough for some people but it may not be enough for everybody. So it's useful yeah. to have lots of different balancing thoughts and try them all on, like trying on a shirt or something like that. I always say to my clients, try this on. If it doesn't fit, we'll do another one. Yeah, that's a good point. Because again, even when we, you said the one to me, I was like, that doesn't fit. Yeah. And then we try a different one. Whereas but I know I've used that with people. It fits really well for other people. So, yeah. Yeah. so for you, so it's it knowing. would be, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm getting there. That's, it's, it's interesting, Hoddy. I, I, um, I did a, a podcast a little while ago about the mirror being a metaphorical object in a, in a lot of um, fairy tale stories, films. And, you know, it's often the case when people look into the mirror, um, you see it in mirror, mirror on the wall because the mirror can't lie. The mirror gives you, shows you as you are. In my experience, that is extremely difficult to do, to look in the mirror and to accept yourself as you currently are. Um, I, in my experience of working with people as a coach, most people do not have the ability to do that. And if they do, it is over something very small in their life. And I think people are very fragile and it's very difficult to actually look into that mirror and, and see yourself as you are. What are your experiences? I'd be really interested to it hear is, this. It is challenging, but I think there's levels of acceptance. So if you are looking in the mirror and you really feel sort of low self-worth and self-loathing, then it's you want to just feel a sense of actually... I'm, again, like I said, I'm not perfect, but I'm okay. I'm not perfect, but I'm okay is much better than, than self-loathing. I think to, to look in the mirror and fully accept who you are may be too ambitious a okay. goal because it's, it's about accepting who you are, yeah. including your flaws, being okay with your flaws, but recognizing you also want to work on the things you can control. That's extremely difficult to do what you've just said i completely get you it is difficult this is what i spend my life trying to do in my life mm -hmm. accepting where i'm at trying to set ambitions for where i want to be and also accepting the flaws that i have and it's that balancing act gary and, and, and is it a balancing act? it is a balancing act okay so and there's think, no holy grail answer to this no and i think okay. for some people if someone's in pain if someone's looking in the mirror and they hate themselves then learning a degree of acceptance it is what is a would create a huge difference for them. So what, accepting that I'm going to be in pain for a certain No, sorry. Of... So so accepting, okay, I'm not perfect. Okay. But then neither is anybody else. Now to you, that's not empowering enough. But for somebody, for somebody to look in the mirror and to believe that statement yeah. can be very empowering and very important. So it's... I'll, I'll, I'll be you're honest. You're not in yeah. pain at the moment. It, if, if I could adopt that mindset, my life would be better. So it's not just... I, I completely agree with you. If I could look in the mirror and adopt that, I would look at the world differently. I agree with you. And I think, you know, the, you mentioned the perfect earlier on as well. So perfectionist tendencies are something as well that can can keep you very motivated, very driven, very ambitious, but they come at a price as well. Because uh, I, if you have yeah. perfectionist tendencies, as I'm sure you know, well, the world <laughs> is black and white. Touche, I'm, sure I'm, sure I'm sure you felt like that as well. Absolutely. I, I think a lot of, um, a lot of that um, comes with age and experience. I think when, when you're younger, you have this idealistic perspective on the world and you look at older people like they're this perfect image and you look at these people doing really well and experience as you get older, 
lets you see actually that we all have a dark side. Um, I think Carl Jung calls it your shadow, where you have a does, yeah. yeah the bad points of your personality. As you get older, you recognise we all have that. We're all the same. We're all connected, and that actually just allows you to just relax a bit more. And you know, I, I, when, when, I, yeah, sorry. I agree. In theory, it does. Okay, um, but oh, what wow. I will say, what I will say, if you this look at the happiness data, for example, that we okay. know that men, for example, in particular, are at their least happy when they're in their mid forties. Wow. And what, that, that is you, do we know? Do we know why? Well, I guess it's the whole existential crisis thing, isn't it? It's is this the, the, whole, mid, the midlife crisis? Exactly. So how, how old so, are you again, Hoddy? <laughs> uh, exactly. I'm banging the middle at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, could you, is there an explanation as to why? Well, I think there's almost like this societal kind of narrative that by this point in my life, I need to have had things sorted and I need to know where I'm at and I need to be comfortable with who I am and I need to know where I'm at and be, be established. I need to be established respected and successful and if i'm not then somehow i failed in some way so I, that that narrative is running against the whole as i as i get older i mellow yeah i mean i'm 34 so i'm talking about my experiences over the past like 10 years but i'm, I'm not into my 40s yet and that's i can imagine how that must feel does does that create um a fear within you though with that that narrative but buying into that narrative does that create a fear it does create a fear yeah it creates uh, Again, it's the sort of perception of threats to your self-worth. And we know that's the most dangerous one these days. Is that linked to the monkey brain or the frontal cortex brain? That's more your analysis. That's more that you've, you've made an analysis of your life. So you're not going into fight or flight, but you feel that you've, you've come up short in terms of where you should be. So let's transition then into that thinking, overthinking to create fear. Could you just explain that initially, um, just explain how you would begin to feel like fear just from overthinking of things? Okay. Well, I think, I think sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's just a dissatisfaction as well. I think that if your emotional mind is in charge more often, again, it's a simplistic way of looking at it, but if your emotional mind is in charge more often than your rational mind, then you'll tend to see things in an unbalanced way. So you would tend to delete information. You would tend to, uh, again, if you are the type of person who may be prone to doing this, you tend to maybe delete all the times when life has been okay. You tend to delete all the positive accomplishments you've had and you tend to generalize as well. So you might say, life is really tough for me. Life is a struggle. Life is a battle. So you find yourself spurting off these emotional kind of themes that become the scripts of your life. Yeah, I know someone that says life is like a fight. And I'm assuming that they would either win or lose each battle. Exactly. <laughs> or each war. Exactly. And then life, but then, you know, like whether you win or lose, life's a battle. And mm. life being a battle doesn't sound a very pleasurable way to live. It doesn't. So I'm assuming that um, earlier on that you mentioned um, with a, a physical symptom, you would have a physical remedy. So this is obviously a mental symptom. There would be a mental remedy. Again, it's the balancing thoughts again. It's always it's okay. always looking at, okay, well, what is the story I'm telling myself about this aspect of my life? And is there a more helpful one? how how i mean that's that that's a difficult difficult thing to even you need you need to have some um self-awareness to be able to know the story you're telling yourself you so what insights what do you listen for when people are speaking as to clues as to how they is, is that a difficult question to answer no or? it's not no okay. no and there's certain things you can look for so for example we know that a, a lot of the pressure type words for example are indicators that someone might be running an unhelpful narrative should need ought to must 
And someone that has perfectionist tendencies, for example, we use those words a hell of a lot more than someone that doesn't. Yeah, I changed my language a few years ago to could rather than should. And that actually had a profound difference. Or would prefer to is another one, preferences. Yeah. I would prefer to do this. So being aware of your language and changing it, that actually impacted me. Just the, the, not the words I was thinking, but when I used different words when I was speaking, that impacted the words I was using when I was thinking, which is quite interesting as well. Is that... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If you change change your your vocabulary a little bit then you're you change it internally as well as externally and sometimes just changing one word can make a huge difference providing you practice and you sort of ingrain that yeah ingrain's a really good word actually so again like you were saying with the levels of self-acceptance when you look into a mirror there must obviously be levels of awareness of the story and narrative that you're telling yourself in your life mm -hmm. so there must be um is it a core belief or is there is there a better term for that? Yeah, core belief, emotional themes. It you know it doesn't really matter. You see it under lots of labels. But I yeah. completely agree with you. M most people don't necessarily have that self-awareness because it's not, not even self-awareness. It's that self-analysis, the ability to self-examine and that, and that analysis. It's quite challenging to do on your own without a little bit of guidance from the book on cognitive behavior therapy or sessions with a coach or a therapist. It's quite difficult to do that on your own without any training, but you can start to consider, well, what is the story I tell myself about my life? And as we said earlier on, life is dot, 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 whatever it is. What's life to you? Yeah, I, I was reading something interesting. Um, one of my favorite books is Man Searches for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Oh, yes, I know that. Um, he actually wrote a second book called Man Searches for More Meaning. I don't know if, you, if you've read that. I didn't know that, no. Yeah, neither did I. So someone um, gave it to me recently. But interesting thing at the beginning of the book, um, someone wrote the foreword to his book and they said that um, putting um, reframes into action, there was this um, guy who had been married to his wife for 50 years and his wife died. And his view on the world was, you know, she's left me and I've got, a, you know, I'm living without her. And he felt really unhappy about his existence. And they managed to reframe it to be, well, actually, it's a good thing that your wife died first because you're taking the burden instead of leaving her the same burden that you're feeling. And that was an example of reframing his whole view on his existence. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that, is very that as ex exactly very powerful? You can have a global reframe of your whole life and that's incredibly powerful. Is that the same as another term thrown around? The same as having a paradigm shift? Yes. So it's when you change the way that you're looking at the world. Okay, this is interesting. Yes, you could call it a paradigm okay. shift. Yeah. Right. We're getting super interesting here because, again, as a coach, I I don't know what your views on motivation are, but I'll, I'll run with this and we'll let you, let you decipher this in a minute. I'm not looking at motivating my clients to do something different. Yes, maybe a small amount of motivation to give them that initial push. What I'm looking at doing most of the time is to change the way that they're looking at a certain aspect of their life. Because I think if they change the way they're viewing it, it's a permanent change. Whereas if you're motivating someone, we all know what it's like to feel motivated. It doesn't last long term. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Couldn't agree more. Motiva <laughs> That's lucky. Motivation <laughs> is, an, is a nice buzzed up temporary driving force. It's not the, the core ingredient for change and to be able to create sort of habits and routines and ways of looking at the world that are helpful. Super interesting then. So how do you go about, if you, I mean, let's, let's go for the deepest level. Let's go for a whole like global shift in the way people are thinking. How do you attack that? I'm saying attack that as a therapist, maybe attack's not the right word, but how do you go about assisting someone in changing their view on the world? Is there a blueprint to help people do this or is it very much on a one-to-one -one basis with someone? 
I would go straight in with challenging some of those global ideas. So I would use a skill that I think we referred to on another podcast we did of amplified reflections is always quite good. So if somebody, for example, says, you know, life, quite often I've had life is unfair. Someone's story is life is a struggle, life is unfair. And then you might say, what, all of the time? Every second of every day is a struggle. Every moment in your life since the moment you were born has, <laughs> been, a struggle. has been torturous, has been... So, so you're looking at allowing them to think differently. Exactly. Well, so what would happen if I said that is they might yeah. say, well, no, not every moment. And then, I'd, and then I'd reframe again. So I say, what you're really saying is sometimes life can be a struggle. And the reframe allows them to view the world differently. It allows, it gives the possibility of change. This is amazing. Um, you mentioned challenges. Um, are there... I mean, we're going off topic, but let's go with this. It's really interesting. So how many types of challenges are there? Are there three or four or there are... It's not an exact size. There's, there's more than three or four. Yeah, there's okay. a number of ways of, of challenging and unhelpful way of thinking. Can we go through your main three that you like to use? Is that, sure. is that possible? Could you, could so you I first... like the, the whole point yeah. of a challenge is the whole sort of CBT what, what, C, what CBT? So, so the, whole, the whole essence of cognitive behavior therapy okay. is the idea that your thoughts are not facts. We treat them as facts, but they're not facts. Okay, it's true. Okay, so I get your that. thoughts are testable hypotheses. Okay, so rather than buying into them, you would think about whether they're real before you buy into them. And exactly. Them. Okay, and that's CBT. That's CBT. Okay, interesting. Okay. And a lot of the errors in thinking happen when people have what are called cognitive errors, which is when you get locked into a way of thinking that isn't helping you. Okay. So have you got an example of um, So a, a lot of the things error? that we've mentioned are cognitive yeah. errors. So life is difficult. Life is life okay. is struggle. So, so the main nine... two are generalizing and okay. deleting. Ah, okay. Yes, I've heard these times before. So could you, I mean, I can probably guess what they mean, but I, I guess, uh, can we have a precise explanation of what they both okay. are? Okay, so a main, again, this may be something you do in certain situations or it may be your whole global life script. So something like life is tough, life is a struggle. Why do bad things always happen to me? And this is a generalization. These are all generalizations. Okay. And yeah. the other one was a... Not a generalization, deletion. It's a deletion. Deletion Wait. is when you simply don't, you simply delete the information because it doesn't fit your model of the world. You're familiar with confirmation bias? Absolutely. Well, I, 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 I've heard of it, but could you explain again what it is? So confirmation bias is you will sort of believe something and then you will go out there looking for ways to confirm that it's true. I have, I, I have to say, um, yes, I know exactly what you mean. When I... I be honest, when I first interviewed you on our very first episode, um, I almost had a confirmation bias during that interview, I almost had like an agenda that I was trying to prove during it. Whereas what I've learned over time is to get rid of your agenda, get rid of the confirmation bias. And actually, not only is it a better interview, but you learn so much more because exactly. you're not closed minded. When you have a confirmation bias, you're so closed. Okay, so yeah, sorry. No, that's <laughs> Just going off relevant, the topic. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no. okay. So the idea is that you, you tend to delete information that does not fit your model of the world. Okay. Which can be quite unhelpful in terms of getting a balanced view of a situation. I'm assuming, though, that everyone has a flawed view on the world. No, no one's actually viewing reality as it actually is. Flawed based on what? So everyone must make... Um, Everyone has their own perception. Yeah, of the perceptions. World, but whether it's flawed or not. Is, okay. Is yeah, on I how understand. You define flawed. So I guess as a psychologist, you're looking at 
if people are deleting stuff or making generalizations that are unhelpful to their mental well-being that then becomes a problem absolutely so it's not ones that aren't problematic it's the ones that that you're looking at helping people that are creating a blockage or what was the term it was a a cognitive error a cognitive error okay this is beginning to make sense okay so that is why I, so the soft challenge and again this is not an exact science so when okay. i say soft challenge it's a common sense thing that some challenges are more direct and more aggressive than others okay so a soft challenge based on what you just said would be i wonder whether that way of looking at the world is helping you and that's a soft challenge. That's a okay. soft challenge because you're not going to turn around and go, how dare you? How okay. dare you? I was tempted. <laughs> <laughs> and what would be a hard challenge? So a hard challenge would be, again, it depends on the situation, but it would be, you're never going to change. You've decided you're going to die this way. You know what? In certain situations, I'd probably say yes to that. And what would, what would be the case? You would know that that person's then close to changing that. Yeah. Then that person... If somebody is absolutely shut down to the possibility of change, yeah. then maybe they're just not ready to change. Sometimes you can you can use challenges to be able to plant that seed of possibility. All I'm ever trying to do is plant a seed of possibility. And you're using the challenges as a way of planting the seed. As a way seeds. of planting the seed. So amplified reflection is one. Soft challenges. The other thing as well is, so going back to, we've sidetracked a little bit, going back to this idea of cognitive behavior therapy and thoughts being facts, it's the idea of sometimes we believe something's true because we feel it's true rather than we have evidence that it's true. Can we run something out in my own life here? Yeah, Because well, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm extremely closed-minded to group learning and I find that when I'm in a classroom, I'm not interested at all and I, I, I'm not interested. I, I, I don't pay attention and I would want one-to-one -one coaching in anything that I do. Even um, swimming lessons, I'm not interested okay. in having group coaching. So first of all, if I was working with you, first of yeah. all, i say nobody has ever learned anything from group, group coaching. Well, they may have done, but I know, I have a feeling that I'm okay. better one-to-one. It's impossible for you to learn anything new in a group environment. Oh, nice. Um, I would then say, well, no, obviously I can learn some stuff. Okay. So was that so, an amplification? Amplification? Well, I just did. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So then the important thing is what I come back with next. Now yeah. I've got that seed of possibility. Yeah. I need to, to make that flourish. Harvest a it. Bit. Yeah. Harvest it. So, so I would say, okay, so what you're saying is it is possible to learn in a group environment. Yes. But you feel that i'm smiling as well because yeah. you're accurate okay. yeah but you feel that's not the best environment for you correct okay yeah. so see what a big difference so you started off right it's impossible you were almost you shut your mind down to the possibility that you could learn a thing and now yeah. we have possibility we just have it's not the ideal environment for you which is fine the other thing i'd like to um, pull from the darkness here is that i felt more relaxed as a human being when i find i found my mind opening I found that when I was closed, I was tense. When you amplified the reflection and challenged it in a soft way, I didn't, I didn't go against what you were saying. Well, it actually it made me more relaxed. Well, what happens, Gary? It's really interesting. I calm down. It's people without realizing, holding on to a way of thinking that isn't helping you, yeah. having rigid, set in stone opinions. It's not, it's not pleasurable. It creates tension. It creates that that tension internal. Is, I'm assuming that this is just thinking from my own personal experiences here that we create these closed minded opinions because we've had a negative experience in the past, probably once 
maybe a few more times, that's had an emotional impact on us, which shuts us down from being open to revisiting that experience again. Absolutely. And it helps us to learn as well, because we have so much we have to deal with. There's so much we have to process and understand that actually it's a shortcut for the mind that if we say, right, okay, I know in this situation, you know, all men are bastards or whatever, or whatever it may yeah. be. It's, it's a way of categorizing information so that it, does, it means you're not having to process every single new situation in every, every time. So it's a shortcut. That really opened my mind to, to be <laughs> with what you just did there. So I'm taking away from this that anytime I feel that feeling of being closed minded again, how could I challenge myself in that, in that situation? If I feel that, you know, I'm feeling like I'm closed minded, is there a way of self speaking or, you I know? I think the amplification is always good. Either, I think the amplification is always good, either amplifying or balancing that thought. So if you think in the way that I did, well, how can I amplify this to the extreme? What would be an extreme way of exaggerating? Mm. So whatever it is I'm believing, what would be an extreme way of exaggerating? So if life is a struggle, yeah. what, every second, every moment of every day? And you can make yourself laugh by amplifying it to the maximum, right? If you're doing it to yourself. Exactly. And, that, and that will give you um, context as well. It will. I mean, to the, make then you... the balancing side of it would be if, if we're dealing with life is a struggle again, Sometimes life is a struggle, sometimes it's not. Yeah. Now, isn't that the script for every single human being's life? Mm. Yeah. So what happens with the, with the limiting beliefs and the cognitive errors is you get locked into the negative side of things, locked into the unhelpful side, but there's two sides to every story. So life is a struggle is unbalanced. Life is sometimes a struggle yeah. is incomplete. Yeah. Life is sometimes a struggle, but what is it the rest of the time? So life is sometimes a struggle, but sometimes it's okay. So you have to balance it. Yeah. And you also have to not be so black and white in your thinking. Yeah, or black and white thinking is, is not particularly helpful. And that's typically the black and white thinking comes about from an emotional trauma in the past, potentially. That, that not even should... an emotional trauma, just okay. an experience that where you've, yes, where you decided that this is what happened. You decided mm. based on this experience, this is my interpretation. So it's not even a trauma, it's your interpretation of a situation. Yes, <laughs> this is opening my mind up. Uh, you're, I'm, I'm in the matrix at the moment. Here. <laughs> um, okay, so if we, um, if we link this back to fear. So from my understanding of what you were say, suggesting earlier, when we are in a situation where we're hijacked by our monkey mind, we, our mind closes down and we have an inability to think clearly and rationalize which is why if we can interrupt that pattern as quickly as possible and run a new pattern that allows you to deal with the anxiety to a much higher, much uh, with the fear to a much better level. Absolutely. Yeah. Gives you those coping strategies, takes the edge off and allows you the time to come up with a different appraisal, a different interpretation of that situation. Yeah. Holly, this episode has been absolutely mind-blowing for me personally i mean the way that you could challenge my thought and i'll be honest with you i was so dead set with that thought <laughs> i was thinking there is no <laughs> way he's going to change my mind <laughs> no, but it was amazing the way the way the way that you did that i i am because i coach for a living i'm very you know the way that we communicate is so important and when someone communicates with me in a, in a bad way that gets my back up it makes me even more close-minded but the way you did it was just so easy and, and and it didn't cause any disruption to my mind it's brilliant thank you i mean it's the area i'm really interested in i work yeah. with anxiety quite a lot and i find it's i find challenges and limiting beliefs and um 
amplified reflections for me it's the bit that i really enjoy the analysis and the examining part so for me i'm in my element when i talk about that yeah i, I thought it was, it was brilliant so um I know we, we began uh, talking about fear, but I think we, we've kind of gone around the houses with some amazing content here. So I, I can't thank you enough for this episode. It's been, it's been brilliant. Thank you. I've enjoyed it too. Perfect. Once again, a really thought-provoking interview with Hoddy. So if you know someone that may benefit from the content in this episode, then why not send it to them as a gift? And don't forget that you can access my whole back catalogue of episodes. All you need to do is search for The Gary Gun Show on the iTunes store or any podcast player.